Welcome to the What's Next Sports Podcast, where each week we will be taking a look back at the main headlines from the previous seven days. We'll be offering you insights, opinion, hot takes and headline acts from the world of sport. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at whatsnext.pod and Twitter at whatsnextsport. Listen, feedback, enjoy and as always, trust the process. Episode 19, and in the week that marked a year since the initial COVID lockdown, where restrictions were put in place, we're finally back together, or at least two of us are for the moment. Myself and Tinners, we're sat outside, socially distanced, etc. How are you, mate? How are things going? Good. Strange to be back out and, and back into training last night. It's a strange old world, but there you go. Um, fe- feeling much better from the COVID, still no taste or smell, but I'll keep you updated week by week. How are you? So, no, I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm back up, obviously, which is nice to have a few weeks off, but uh, that's a bonus. Stiff this morning or not very, too bad? Very, very stiff. Um, for how little bowling I did last night, my body certainly feels like I bowled a, a lot of overs, thanks for asking. Well, in a couple of weeks you can uh, you can bowl a few more, take a few more wickets. But uh, England-San Marino was our prediction last week. Jimmy was closest with 6-0. I'll give him a congratulations this afternoon when I catch up with him. And we had his part in, but it finished five. I know the keeper made a load of saves and England had chances throughout and... It is what it is. Did you catch any of it? Is that a good result, a bad result? Oh, I watched most of it. I mean, it gets to the point where you just think it's like a training exercise against a team like that. You kind of half start feeling sorry for the lads as well because they're just chasing shadows, really. Um, but Jesse Lingard looked really good. Um, does that say an awful lot about him or who who, who we're playing against? Um, I think it was good to see Calvert-Lewin doing a pretty decent job, um, knowing that at least if Harry Kane does get injured or we miss him, we have actually got another striker now that Vardy's decided to step down. So, yeah, I think it was it was one of those. It could have been five or six. If, if it was nine, we'd have complained that they were really bad, so it doesn't really matter. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You never quite know what you're going to get with these international friendly fixtures that aren't friendly. They mean something, but you could send your under 21 side who I know they lost but would probably still do a job in a San Marino and you, you don't win do you, you win 6-0 and people go it should have been 10 you win 10-0 and as you say people say it should have been more but Scotland beat them 6-0 last time in the Euro qualifiers so they've won up to us there which means we're going to lose in the summer <laughs> in the Euros when we play there but uh, should we go through some headlines then and then we uh, we can continue so as you say we were back playing cricket but cricket is back in England in general the counties are playing their winter pre-season games we were back in the nets, some, some of us a little bit more active than others. In warmer climates, England lost the ODI series to go with losing the Test and T20 series to India. Despite India dropping 2-2, two and two, there were some Stokes and some Bairstow batting heroics. Moeen got his first ODI wicket in 15 months, that of Virat Kohli. Sam Curran got the boys close, not over the line. And Joffre needs some surgery thanks to an injury he apparently picked up, washing the dishes or cleaning a fish tank, which is a new one to me. The Summer Lions tour to South Africa has been confirmed. Wales won the Six Nations as Scotland won in Paris for the first time in a decade. Ellis Genge announced his return to the Premiership with an attempted scrap before kick-off with John Welsh of the Falcons. Danny Cipriani is back in the Premiership with Bath whilst Freddie Burns has re-signed at Leicester. And in the final rugby news, Richmond fielded a 15 that included a coffee shop owner, a financial analyst, a trade broker and only one professional player who was only on loan against the Saracen side that featured Jamie George. Billy Horschel won the match play in an event where Sergio beat Westy thanks to a hole-in-one. Kevin Nahr tried to alpha Dustin Johnson. Francis Naganu became the UFC heavyweight champion of the world to complete his incredible poverty to gold story. The best nickname in sport is heading to the UFC as Paddy the Baddy gets signed and the Poirier v McGregor trilogy money fight is nailed on for July the 10th. Dillian White avenged his knockout loss to Povetkin 
with a vicious KO of his own before receiving the wrong belt and a £2 coin with his face on. And Campbell Hatton made his pro boxing debut on the undercard over in Gibraltar. Tony Bellew has an OnlyFans. Scott Brown is heading to Aberdeen as player coach. West Brom have extended their contract with the Boilerman mascot. Ronaldo stormed off the pitch in a huff for Portugal. Zlatan returned for Sweden. Hamilton won the opening Grand Prix of the season for the first time since Melbourne 2015 over in Bahrain. The Women's Super League have a new TV deal. There was an NBA trade deadline. Southgate played two holding midfielders against Albania, which apparently created a defensive box with the centre-backs. Ireland lost to Luxembourg. And last but not least, Gareth Bale said he is heading back to Madrid. Madrid has said he's not in their plans for next season, and so it looks like it is back to the good old days of Wales, Golf, Madrid, in that order. Any of those to touch upon, mate? Uh, I was going to touch on the, the, the Gareth Bale one, but I'll, I'll quickly cover the, the Sam Curran thing. I think getting 90-odd not out, losing the game by seven, done my job, happy days, the great cricketer will be over the moon with that. Shame they're not doing their podcast at the moment because they'd be all over that. Um, <laughs> I think his interview he was dying to smile, couldn't get, couldn't quite sneak it out because of all the media training, but just thought I'd quickly mention that because who doesn't want to be 90 not out doing your job and, and just not getting over the line, credit to him. Um, but the, the Gareth Bale one's great, isn't it? It's the fact that Real Madrid have told him, you're not coming back. He's basically told the Spurs fan he was using it as a fitness a fitness routine for him into the season, into the Euros, sorry. And um, yeah, what's he going to do now? Where, where's he going to go? Will Mourinho really want him now because he's pretty cutthroat? Um, or will he just say you know what actually yeah come and play with us for the next three years we'll, we'll have you on loan for, for 10 million or whatever it is next year and, and move on from there so it's funny it's the most Gareth Bale thing he could have done um, for then Real Madrid to tell him yeah you're not playing so unlucky kind of thing but there you go Has he done enough this year in his time at Spurs to possibly even think he can be demanding a gig at Madrid whatever contract demands he's going to have wherever he wants to end up I think he had a little purple patch, didn't he? But then he said that and Mourinho straight away put him back on the bench. So <laughs> I don't really know what he thought was going to come out of it. But he played all right against like Wolfsburg. He played okay against Marine in the FA Cup and yeah. things like that. If he did it against the top six, yeah, he may be able to demand. But I think he's kind of fallen back into the trap that he's a bit of a Spurs player now mm. again. Um, if, he, if he hadn't have had that period of not playing at Real Madrid, arguably he's lost a bit of talent and he's passed that peak year. But I think it's still there. I just think he's he's not going to be linked with Man United again he's not going to be linked with Man City or he's not going to be linked with to go on somewhere like your Bayern Munich stuff like that which is probably where he would rather be playing and he probably is going to be stuck at Tottenham or a club like Tottenham um, whether or not he might then just think oh, I'm going to go to China and make some quick quid and make and play some decent golf then that's up to him I suppose Quickly on the Grand Prix I know we've touched on Hamilton in the past talking about whether he's a sportsman or whether Formula 1 is even a sport itself Um did you watch that? Are you changed your mind on Formula One now he's made our headline real? He makes it every week, doesn't he? Um, to be fair, I started watching the, the, the show last night. I watched the first episode. One of the first things that you realise is how dangerous it really is. I suppose I've always known that, but when you when you listen to the, the, the kind of the big bosses saying, I look into the rise before they're going out and they literally are going out to race at two hundred mile an hour, you kinda of have a little bit more credit to them because you think, Yeah, it's quite scary actually. Um, and you see a couple of the crashes straight away, so it's a, it's a sport we, we kind of argued that in the past but yeah I don't awfully watch it an awful lot once I finish this show on Netflix then by all means I might be right into it but we'll, we'll soon find out I think that's the thing is that I can expect or I can promise some really bad opinions on Formula 1 that I'm going to have picked up through watching Drive to Survive yeah. because naturally that's where you get all your good opinions from yeah. someone else so 
Uh, no, I've enjoyed it. I've watched it. It's the first Grand Prix I've ever watched from start to finish. I had Sam Curran on the iPad alongside it, and I had Hamilton winning. Go on then. Well, just before we move on, I just want to apologise a little bit. I can hear some plates being cleaned in the background. We are outside, but Mother is uh, is working. So, Tinners, what's next? I thought we'd just touch on obviously Aguero leaving, um, coming to the end of his Man City career, getting a getting a statue outside. Um, well deserved, I think. I think the the, the kind of rumours that company will get one as well, which I'm surprised he already hasn't got one up. But I suppose two and one, why not? Um, and just kind of think of any other sportsmen that don't have statues that we could then touch on um, and kind of think about our local clubs, Durham Cricket, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, kind of along those lines of, is there anyone that we think is, is missing? There's obviously a couple of statues up there already, um, but then going far and wide, is there any other sportsmen that we've that have missed out on statues for possible other reasons that um, we can think of? So just thought we'd touch on that. Do you think they've got a two-for-one deal on the statue? That's why they're going for Aguero and company. They've waited until they can get... I won't get one free. I don't think they're short of cash, but by all means, that's how you make good business, isn't it? I wonder if they're going to do a, a little a little combination one of the two instead of just two separate ones of them lifting the Premier League or something along those lines. But be an interesting one if they were getting two for one. I don't know who I would think deserves a statue. There's a couple of things that came to mind of who's got one and when's the right time to give someone one. Is it in memory of once they've passed away, like Bobby Robson's one outside St James's Park, is it someone who's just a club icon like Shearer's outside St James's Park, Aguero Company for winning the league and everything that they did in sort of that changing time at Man City. Is something like an iconic moment, just even think off the top of my head, should Edgbaston have one of Brett Lee and Flintoff and that iconic moment that sums up that 2005 Ashes outside there and could England have an Australian immortalised in a statue outside one of their great test venues but that moment for me as a youngster growing up was one of the most iconic sporting cricketing moments going but could you have an Australian outside Hedgebus I think there'd be uproar but I think it, like you say that moment's got so much behind it it's not just the moment that Freddie's gone over and kind of been such a, a great sportsman at that moment in time but is it could they have Brett Lee there? I don't know. Should they? I think it would be a big statement, but why not? I mean, like you say, you think back to that that series itself, such a big series, but then that moment kind of took it over the point of something slightly different. So possibly, it's like you say, Ben Stokes could have one. Where does he have one? Does he have one at Headingley because of what he did mm. in that in that pose that we all know at the end? Or do we say, no, we want it at the Riverside because he's a Durham lad and, and that's where we want it. But does that make sense? Can you have people outside the stadiums that, with statues just because it was at that venue? Or, or does it have to be where they're from? Um, I think Stokes will get one at some point, whether or not they'll be up with whatever that's gone on in his past. Um, it'll be interesting, but you don't see many... Many people have statues outside. Would, would the he be the one you'd go for at Durham? Do you think? Um, arguably, Jeff Cook could have one. Yeah. Like you say, it depends on when you're going to give them it and what and what reasons before. Uh, I mean, Jeff's kind of changed everything that happened at Durham in a sense that his little period of of being the coach and everything like that. Does he deserve one and everything he'd done with the academy as well? Um, arguably, yes. But then, do you then say, well, if Jeff's getting one, then you have to give it the X, Y, and Z as well. I can see Sunderland giving Lee Johnson a statue outside the Stadium of Life now that he's won a trophy and well, won at Wembley. By the way, as they talk about Aidan McGeady's flying to get one because he's the best player ever. It's interesting. Like, there's iconic moments and things like, could Tiger Woods get one at Augusta or pretty much any golf course going in the world? Could Rafa Nadal get one at the French Open because of his record on clay? 
would Federer get one at Wimbledon because of how good he's been there? Can Kieran Pollard get one for hitting six sixes outside uh, wherever he did that the other week? Should Tyrrell Hatton get one in a hoodie outside Wentworth? Like, what constitutes a statue? I'm not too sure, but I think it's somewhere, say, Newcastle or at the Falcons. Johnny Wilkinson may already have one at the Falcons at Kingston Park. I'm not 100% sure, but I'd be amazed if he didn't. Does someone like a Dean Richards for what he's done at the Falcons and bringing them back up, changing it? It's a strange one because potentially they won't be able to get relegated again. So how good a job does someone have to do? I don't. It's strange, isn't it? Because Company and Aguero are going to get one because essentially they've come from nothing to what they are, but they've got that much money. That is it arguably those two players, or is it arguably the bloke who's gone, they're going to be pretty good, let's sign him. Does the bloke who's signed him, the, the recruitment, is it not his job that he's gone away and, and got all the money so he can go and sign them? Obviously, they have to then perform and do what they've done. But, like you say, there's got to be, is there something that someone's got to do? Ben Stokes, or at Henley, he did such had such an amazing innings and, and won that game, but he also won the World Cup in the same year and had that outrageous in and so then is it a case of well it's a statue for his year that he had because it was such a freakish year um, whereas Aguero and companies are over a long period of time and that's probably why they've got it um, similar with Shearer's and Bobby Robson's there's there's different reasons why people get them I think you've got to have a long old good career and people have got to respect you which might fall into why some athletes such as Tiger Woods who've had things going on in their personal life does that then should that then kind of warrant them not getting one or getting one I, I don't know Shane one got one and it's and he's in the, that bracket I'd say of things mm. going on in his mm. personal life um, and also being banned from the sport and stuff like that so but he's outside the big, one of the biggest venues in the world so um, and you can't miss it when you go there so it's it's one of those where I think it all just depends on what people really want and it, no matter who gets one people are going to argue it and say well actually he or she should have one as well um, I think that's the thing isn't it if they, if they come out and they say right we're marking the Aguero and the the company achievement arguably does Balotelli get one because of what he did playing his role as one assist at Man City won them that first Premier League and where do you draw the line because eventually you just have statues all around the place but then I've been to the Olympic Stadium in Rome and they literally have statues of everyone the whole way around and it's quite iconic and impressive and their figures from goodness knows how long ago to relatively modern figures and potentially the Etihad turns into that if they go all the way back through and they get some of the old Man City legends as well or whatever it could be but yeah I think cricket lends itself to iconic moments I'd love to see a statue of Stokes in that pose at Headingley I'd love to see that moment of Flintoff and Brett Lee together I'd love to see a statue of Collingwood that catch he held off Hayden sort of immortalised because of what he did whether again he is worthy of a statue he won that first world trophy for England as captain does that mean Owen Morgan gets one as well possibly what iconic position stance does he have or do you just literally have a statue of an Irishman outside Lords or something yeah, I, don't know. I, I think it's one of those they have to be very careful who they give the first one to because mm-hmm. then that's got to follow a trend as the years go on like say if you give Colin one for win, win on the first 2020 World Cup then you have to give Owen Morgan one for and arguably they've done similar things for the country in cricket but then you think, well, right, well, where does Alistair Cooks come? And then where does Jimmy Anderson's come? Where does Stuart Broad's come? Because they've all, well, like, beefy. Where, where would you, what, what happens next? You've got to then start going back before you and then go forward because you can't just give people up because they break records. Because come 20 years' time, could be another lad that takes over Jimmy Anderson's record. And then you say, oh, we'll have to move Jimmy down the road a bit because actually we need, we need to put... We need to put... <laughs> just protecting the pod. Um, 
you have to you have to put things in for the right reasons. You can't just put it in for people breaking any little record here and there. Um, and then I think that's where people have to be careful. Going back to the northeast, does Gareth Southgate get one outside the Riverside? Obviously, England. If he does something for England, does he get one at the Riverside or does he get one outside Wembley? Arguably, if C went and won the national competition, if he went and won the Euros or won the World Cup, then I think you're proud that he's from this this end of the country. And why not put one outside the Riverside? It might not be a big one, but then arguably, do you then put one outside Wembley or St George's Park or whatever that may be? Um, I think there's arguments that for someone of what he took over and where we were to the way he might take us and we're not sure of that yet um, and like I say playing two old midfielders wasn't a great start to get a statue he's not the top of my list anymore but um, arguably people will argue for it won't they they're not going to people are going to people love him people love the way he does it and, and will he have his little waistcoat on in the statue that's all I'd be bothered about right enough of statue chat Aguero's getting one company's getting one I'll swear to Jordan Henderson to get his um Dogger, you've got our headline act or acts this week. What's next? Yeah, so I was able to sit down with Oddballs brand manager Julian Osborne, who spoke brilliantly about the Oddballs Foundation, Oddballs as a company, and the Oddballs Rugby Sevens team. They obviously do fantastic work into testicular cancer, raising awareness across the country through their ambassador schemes that Julian talks about. But also, I then managed to sit down with Maiden Chelsea star Harvey Armstrong, who is actually talking sport with us today. He is a player for the Oddball Sevens team, but he is also a Gibraltar rugby 15-a-side player, and he talks quite openly about that. It was good to speak to both of them. I'm joined by brand manager from Oddballs, Julian. Firstly, thank you so much for your time for joining us. Um, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks. How is this lockdown looking for you at the moment? Cheers, mate. It's um, it's a pleasure to be on it, Andrew. Look, I, what can be said about the lockdown at this point? Um, getting used to it. It feels like life is normal, doesn't it? I work from home. Um, thankfully, it's not affected too oddballs too much. Um, being in underwear, um, it's one of those products that people always need all year round. Uh, Christmas always comes and we sell most of our products online. So, you know, it's been devastating to watch other businesses be significantly affected by lockdown. Um, but thankfully, we're, we're all very grateful that, you know, we've still all got our jobs and that it, the period hasn't been too tricky for us to navigate. So, yeah, mate, all things considered, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Very good. Well, please do tell us a little bit about Oddballs for some of our listeners that may well not be au fait, particularly with the company. Tell us a little bit about what Oddballs are, what they do, um, where they come from. The floor is yours. Sure. Um, So Oddballs um, essentially or fundamentally is a uh, underwear that raises awareness of testicular cancer. that's what we started out as and as we've grown as a business and as our charity and i'll come on to explain we've you know branched out into tons of other products into sports into uh, supporting other charities and we're becoming this umbrella brand that um is looking to do social good get people talking uh, and break the stigma and the taboo associated with um testicular cancer and now other cancers so uh, the underwear starting out is all about colorful uh, loud designs that get people you know evoking conversations evoking emotions and saying wow what's that underwear all about oh it's this brand uh, that raises awareness of testicular cancer and if we can initiate that conversation uh, then we're doing our bit um to help people you know overcome cancers um 
that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, it, our relationship in sport has blossomed. We've, you know, it, it's it's been a it, so a five. I think this is our sixth. We'll be coming into our sixth year now. So we'll just go from strength to strength each year. More people buy our underwear. More people buy our products. More sports teams support our cause. Um, so yeah, it's a really exciting business and uh, charity to be part of. They do. I'm I'm going to come back to the foundation in a moment if that's okay. But in terms of our yeah. causes, they are. Um, famous, recognisable in and around sport, as you just said, be that recreational mm. clubs wearing the bobble hats with their names affiliated, be that schools with their names across the front and the patterns on them, be that with um, oddballs on social media posting, spot the oddballs in a, a ruck on the international rugby scene type thing. It is supported from bottom to top, grassroots to the top level of sport. Mm. And that environment is that a conscious decision from oddballs or is that just naturally how it's sort of evolved that that family environment within sport of supporting one another bigging up one another having those conversations with one another was that something that in the beginning a few years ago at your sort of starting point oddballs thought that's the market that we need to look into to try and get that stigma broken so to speak yeah, um, I think it was a it was a conscious decision, but the way that it's grown and taken off has been very uh, organic and natural. So, uh, from a profile of people that work at Oddballs and founded Oddballs, um, we have a professional footballer, ex professional rugby player, and then the the team that trickles down below it are also very sporty. So, when Oddballs started making underwear. Uh, you know, like any business, how do you get your brand out there? How do you raise your profile? How do you get people speaking about your your products? Um, we sent them to who we knew. We sent them to rugby players, rugby league players, um, you know, with the idea, can we send you a load of our pants for free? And can you guys take a photo wearing them? And, you know, in that, you're doing their bit to raise awareness of testicular cancer. And what's nice about rugby players, um, you know, they're, they've got pretty big followings and profiles, but they're not celebrities or they don't carry that, um, you know, ego. So they're always super help, super helpful and really willing to help out. And, you know, from all of the premiership teams, all of the, uh, the rugby league teams taking photos, that trickles down through to grassroots clubs and the grassroots players and, you know, kids see their idols wearing oddball stuff. They think, oh, you know, I've, quite fancy a piece of this and then what they don't see at first is maybe the cause and then once they buy a pair of underwear so each packet of oddballs has a check yourself guide on the back so everything that we do is geared around um evoking that conversation that i was talking about earlier so yeah rugby um as a family as a community it's a very you know everyone comes down on a Sunday the clubhouse is always full um, like you touched on we sell our products bespokely to um, to clubs so they can buy their bobble hats from us and that gets the conversation going they can buy club boxes umbrellas towels you know anything that we think that would work in a sporting environment we try our hand to make um, as best we can and you know the clubs can buy them uh, you know and help support oddballs and ultimately um, which we'll come on to talk about that helps support the oddballs foundation too. I think the first time I actually saw Oddballs, and I was reminded this the other day when I knew I was getting the opportunity to speak to you, I think it wasn't Dave Allen, but it was a Dave Allen post that I saw recently. He was obviously the retired professional boxer now, and it was a photo from his weigh-in. And mm. I remember years ago, and was it David Price? Was it someone? It was one of the boxers in their iconic weigh-in photos when they're fully stripped off, and they were wearing the Oddballs pants. And I couldn't tell you for the life of me which design it mm. was at the time, but... Um, it stuck with me in that image that actually a man about to go and fight for his life almost um, in a 
boxing sense was stood there supporting a cause mm. that supports people who are literally fighting for their life and that relationship and that image has stayed with me for quite a long time and that relationship with sports yeah. and as you say rugby players having that humblingness to always support is uh, is constant I guess yeah absolutely and you've touched on a good one there I mean boxers have been brilliant with oddballs you know we get our head down all the time it's like right which sports people or which celebrities are regularly you know taking their clothes off and just stood there in pants and well boxers always come to mind you know and it's got to the point where Tyson Fury you know British heavyweight champion now supports oddballs and wears our pants we don't pay him for that he purely does it for the cause um so you know it's fantastic and i think it's credit to oddballs as a brand and then obviously how important the cause is as well just coming together and you know people want to wear the product and people want to support the cause and you know it's a it's a bit of a a nice coupling really no i fully agree and i think that that is the strength of the product i can testify for in terms of the quality of the products um with the boxes etc but also as you say because of the the purpose behind them with that foundation that is something i would like to touch on so mm. if you can in a nutshell or some up for us a little bit talk us through the oddballs foundation the work they do the work they're looking to do and what that involves absolutely so that, this is the most probably the most important part of oddballs and something that we've championed from the start so when oddballs to, to start us off and make this clear, Oddballs operates and functions as a business uh, and the profits each year that Oddballs creates as a business are donated to the Oddballs Foundation, our registered charity. Uh, and that money that goes to the charity is spent on ways and means of raising awareness of testicular cancer. Um, now, we choose to raise awareness of testicular cancer rather than fund research um, because testicular cancer is basically 98 to 99% curable. Um, so... It's more about getting people checking themselves and understanding the the, war, the dangers of testicular cancer. It is the most common cancer in young men uh, aged thir- uh, 15 to 35. So it's it's critically important that we're getting young men talking about it and getting more comfortable um, with the idea of checking themselves more regularly. If they can check themselves more regularly and they get find a lump or a bump, then we recommend that they go to the doctor. Uh, most of the time, it's not uh, a cancer, thankfully. But if it is, at least we've initiated that conversation initiated that thought and we've got them going to check themselves and if they can get they can find the cancer or the lump or early then you know there's far less chance of having to have surgery hopefully less chemotherapy um you know and reducing significantly their risk of potentially dying and obviously testicular cancer can kill people um so you know this is what we're trying to do we're trying to limit the amount of people that are dying from this cancer um so you know that's fundamentally the Oddballs Foundation is all about raising awareness of testicular cancer. Um, most recently, our, our most significant work that the foundation has been doing is our um, student ambassador scheme. So we have, um, it started off as five students about three, three years ago now, and we're now in a position where we're growing to 30 ambassadors. Now that's three or four in Ireland, that's Scotland, that's England, Wales, at universities all over the country, boys, girls, all with the... Um, job title of uh, our Oddballs Foundation Ambassadors. Now, their role is to go into schools, universities, businesses, and deliver a talk on testicular cancer awareness and what Oddballs does to tackle the stigma associated with it. So again, speaking to people about Oddballs, about checking themselves, about breaking the stigma and getting people more comfortable talking about cancer is their main role. And it's um, it's a fantastic thing. I mean, it, it, the foundation, it's, it's growing year on year in this ambassador scheme is... Uh, 
our most significant work in the past we've had a, a check yourself um, app which um, monthly reminded gents to check themselves for testicular cancer warning signs um, on all sorts you know the, uh, typical stuff that charities do but I would I'd like to point out that the student ambassador scheme um, which Kieran Kelly runs now I, I employed Kieran um, in the first year so he was one of our first five ambassadors uh, and after two years Kieran uh, stepped in and now manages the scheme as a full-time role working for the foundation so it's um, it's going from strength to strength Andrew. Great and I, I think that work is incredible that awareness raised, and I don't think it's something that you can almost rest on your laurels you can't you can't over ram that down someone's throat. I don't know if that's an appropriate <laughs> phrase to use for such a thing, but I think it is so important to constantly remind people just to chase off. If we can, because it is important, can you just quickly talk through that process for young males? You talk about that 15 to 35 age category. How can a young male such as ourselves check ourselves? Mm. And what are the pros- what is the process behind potentially what happens next? I mean, it's literally as straightforward as not thinking about it too much. Just getting your hands down there whilst you're having a shower, whilst you're getting changed and just having a feel around. Don't be shy about it. You know, we've got to get over this, you know, over masculine thing of men always being fine. You know, we're not always fine. There's nothing we can do. Anybody can get cancer. You know, we're, we regularly speak to people our age. You know, I'm 26. And I think before I joined Oddballs, um, I associated cancer with older people or older age, and that's critically important to understand that with testicular cancer, it affects young men. So we need to be the ones, you know, championing this conversation. Um, So, you know, to answer your question, if you do find a lump or a bump or something, you know, call your GP, go to a walk-in clinic, you know, get it checked out because, you know, it could be the difference between life and death. Ultimately, there's a high chance that it might be, you know, nothing to worry about. A lump, it'll go away. But, you know, you'll rest, you know, assured in the fact that you've found out where, what it is. And, you know, it's, it's very important that you, you lads are regularly checking for lumps and bumps. Quite right. And I absolutely echo that sentiment. So thank you very much for that, Julian. <laughs> Just quickly, in terms of the brand of Oddballs, it is very much the funky patterns, the... Um, quirkiness of the boxes and bits and pieces like that you have also managed to dip into that market as you touched on before with sports teams international teams uh, rugby league rugby union clubs some football teams also in Mm. terms of having their badges on their boxes and becoming the official boxes supplier or pants supplier to many of these teams and nations almost and firstly how do the designs come about and then secondly how do you end up getting Wales rugby on board to have them being the official partner of Oddballs. Sure. So we have a um, a very talented um, design team that are that work at our HQ in Newcastle. Um, who you know, it's their job to come up with new designs, new patterns. It's more complicated than you might think um, to create these designs, and takes a lot of creativity. So that's that side of the Oddball stuff, and then. Um, we have a, a retail team. I work in that section where um, we approach governing bodies, sporting bodies um, and say, look, we would love to do a dual um, branded product, which 
um, supports your club, whether that be a grassroots club, a premiership rugby club or the WRU or England rugby. Uh, and then if it goes to sort of the higher level stuff, then it's all about licensing agreements. So oddballs have to discuss with the club terms to use their branding on our boxes. And obviously it's mutually beneficial. Um, because we're so big in rugby, um, the WRU knows that all of Welsh rugby fans will buy Old Balls boxes. So, you know, they get a little ticker on that. And so do we. We get the Welsh rugby fans coming and buying the Old Balls products. And ultimately, it looks brilliant for the WRU because they're supporting um, people talking about testicular cancer. And it's fantastic for our brand exposure because we then, you know, we're look, we are working with, you know, the big dogs in rugby um, we have been for a long time now it's um you know the premiership clubs year on year getting new designs so we they send us their kits through and we work on designs for each club and then they launch them each season um you know and we have we've, we've got brilliant working relationships with you know most of the premiership rugby clubs and you know our our, our bigger tier relationships in england rugby british and irish lions welsh rugby um just go to from strength to strength each year so it's a it's a big part of oddballs um the sporting scene what's next for oddballs and the foundation i know i've certainly seen oddballs vans and merchandise stands at twickenham on occasion when i've been down there and bits and pieces at sporting events which obviously current situations have sort of put a bit of a stop to but touch wood things get back to normal quite mm. quickly what's in pipeline that we can expect from oddballs and obviously the foundations as they continue to support the great cause sure so we have a um subscription service so monthly we send our uh, boxes and new socks the newest design to people who subscribe to our service um that's something that we're really trying to focus and grow so i think next is we're, we're having initial conversations about how can we take our brand to australia to america what's the best new market for oddballs to grow into um we've recently signed um a licensing agreement with the kangaroos the australian national um, rugby league team uh, and the wallabies are in the pipeline so we're working on um internationalizing our brand in australia and now we're starting to think about um the mlr and the america and the usa rugby and, and how can we as a commercial brand that's big in rugby in the uk um harness that and use it in america and help america's rugby platform grow so that they're the 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 stuff from a business perspective that we're looking to um grow um from the foundation it's uh, we're trying to build on the success of this student ambassador scheme um we had 18 ambassadors this year and we're looking to grow to 30 so it's a significant investment now these ambassadors all have um cars oddballs cars that they drive around in all brought in branded up and our patterns and um, they deliver a minimum of 10 talks per year um, to schools in their local area so that's 300 talks let's say there's 300 schools in each uh, 300 kids in each that well that's like 90,000 students we're going to be um, talking to this year and then 90,000 people go and tell their family that they spoke to you know it's that multiplying effect we're multiplying the amount of people that are speaking and talking about oddballs and that brand exposure and raising awareness of testicular cancer so um yeah the the only way is up for oddballs and we're we're really proud of our growth and proud to be um supporting a really important cause and you know we're really one of the leading figures now in getting men talking about health issues so yeah we're you know we're i'm i'm proud to be part of it and i'm sure all of our staff are too Incredible. Absolutely. Just before we close, June, where can we find Oddballs on socials and websites, etc., to keep up to date with products and also growth and uh, the foundation's work? 
straightforward. So at my oddballs on Instagram, same on Twitter, um, oddballs on Facebook, um, website www.atmyoddballs.com. Um, check out our subscription service. It's 10 quid a month. Don't even think about it. You know, it's a fresh pair of pants, our newest design, our newest socks. Um, it'll get you constantly reminded about checking yourself. It's, uh, it's a bit of a no-brainer in my, in my perspective, from my perspective, mate. Harvey, thank you so much for your time. Really looking forward to this conversation and learning a little bit more about you for our listeners. But firstly, as always with all of our guests, how are you? How is lockdown three or whatever number we're up to now? Third, third and hopefully last. But yeah, it's, it's going all right, getting through it. Um, lucky enough, we've got uh, sort of filming that's broken up this last lockdown. So we've been down in, um, down in Oxfordshire last week and we're about to head off tomorrow actually to Suffolk to be in a house for like, I think hopefully to see us through this last lockdown. So yeah, it's not all bad, but uh, we're, we're doing all right. Yeah, hopefully, as you say, it can be the, the last and this thing just doesn't go on much longer. And as you mentioned there, lots of people will recognise you from their TV screens and your role, if that's the right word, as, as part of Made in Chelsea. But today we wanted to talk to you a little bit about another part of your story, and that is your rugby playing. Not too long ago, we spoke to Julian, who is brand manager at Oddballs, about the company, the foundation, and as part of that, their involvement in sport, rugby in particular, and their Oddballs Sevens team. You've been part of that squad. How did you get involved with that? Tell us a little bit about what being involved with a Sevens team is all about. So I actually know Julian from back, back from university in Newcastle. Uh, we played rugby together. And then sort of a few years into him joining the team at Oddballs, he basically launched the the sevens team sort of sponsored by Oddballs to try and build brand brand exposure and uh, for the team. So he just sort of got together all his best sort of friend players through kind of the, he played in that one, that two, I think for a bit. Um, so he pulled a few of the boys from there together and then some of his core like mates. So yeah, we just got, got a sort of fret, like fun friend team together, played a few of the tournaments around sort of Southwest England um Bournemouth Sevens being kind of the the big one to build up towards and yeah we actually we went to Bournemouth Sevens and won that the the league below invitation league so like the top kind of friendly league um so that was a good win on the main pitch um but yeah it's, it's been it's been a lot of fun honestly I, I missed last year's because I was away track uh was it last God, I'm getting confused lot no last year was destroyed by lockdown the year before <laughs> that um I missed unfortunately because I was away traveling but um Oddballs have now got two two uh, Bournemouth Sevens wins under the belt. So, yeah, we're hoping to get our third when everything goes back to normal, hopefully this year. Is, is that the best tournament that you've been able to go down to and be involved with? Or have there been one or two others? Have there been international trips with the Oddballs side? Have they gone abroad for one or two? Not not yet, no. I think we were looking at doing Dubai, but again, ruined by lockdown. But, um, yeah, Bournemouth's, Bournemouth's always the best. Like, it's there's a festival surrounding it, so you, you're, you're there to party, you're there to play as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just so many people. It's just such a laugh. Normally get quite good weather from it as well. But yeah, I think it's been rescheduled this year to, like, 20... to August sometime. I yeah, I think I... Is it Roger Woodall that runs it? And it's normally the May bank holidays, and I think it's going to yeah. be August bank holiday just yeah. to give them as much time as possible to hopefully get it back, so... Hopefully you'll be able to get down there and uh, you'll A, have a gap in your schedule and B, be able to contribute. How how did your rugby journey start? Was it club, school, just watching Six Nations World Cups on TVs, being inspired almost? 
Um, I actually started out in Australia. So I grew up there until the age of about 12. I, I moved over to Spain where my, well, my mum's from Gibraltar. So that's sort of my link into playing for Gibraltar. But so my childhood rugby started, um, yeah, in Australia. I kind of played football, um, little soccer and then I sort of played rugby football. And then I decided to sort of take football on, I mean, rugby on as, as my kind of preferred sport. And then I moved to Spain. I played a bit of Spanish rugby at club. Um, which was a bit of a step down compared to what I was playing in Australia. But yeah, that was quite fun being the big fish in a small pond. And then, yeah, and then sort of went to school in, in the UK and played all through sort of boarding school, um, school rugby, which was, when I think back to it, some of the best rugby ever, um, a lot of fun. And then a bit of uni rugby. And then kind of since 18, I guess I've been playing for Gibraltar. And that's kind of been the the main focus. But yeah. Where, where were you at school? I was at Sherburn. At Sherburn, so, yeah. So it, at the top end of that school rugby. Yeah, good, good rugby, it, so yeah. to speak. You've mentioned it there, your involvement with the Gibraltar national team. Tell us about that post-university, getting involved in that, about them, about their ambitions, how good they are. Yeah, well, it's, firstly, it's, we're like a, we're a thousand population, I think we are. Um, but given we're kind of part of the uk we've got kind of that british the british route so we do for our size we can bring out quite a strong team there's a bit of kind of rugby blood um in gibraltar so i got involved when i was just turned 18 i think that's the age you have to be to play um so i actually played my first game while i was still at school i think it was against cyprus and yeah we play sort of a lot of the kind of smaller countries around Europe, so Cyprus, Malta, is, um, Malta Israel. Um, we've gone out on tours to Malaysia and Singapore and played them out there. We played UAE out in Dubai, um, Sweden, Denmark. Played some, we've played Bermuda. We played the Royal Marines um, every year. It's like a scheduled fixture. So we played them three years running now, um, last year being the only year we haven't. So yeah, we, we 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 punch above our weight for sure. We, we're sort of playing against and, and beating sort of teams ranked about 40th, 50th in in the world, um, and we're kind of yeah we're we're putting them away. So or the, the the aim for us is basically to get into FIRA, which is you know the the, the European Federation, um, and to then have scheduled friendlies. Um, I mean scheduled internationals, not friendlies, and build our way up through the European leagues and. Um, hopefully sit where we where we belong in the 40th 50th sort of ranking um, but at the moment and over the last sort of six or seven years we've had a lot of difficulties trying to get into that federation because of political we haven't got the number of votes needed there's been a few kind of disagreements there um, court cases it's been it's been a bit of a messy situation because yeah I mean there's no massive reason we shouldn't be in that in that league and um you know, we play friendlies and the reason we do these friendlies and we have four or five years just to get our name out there and, and show that we can compete at that level. But we're not yet being put into the European Federation to actually allow us to grow through those leagues and actually, you know, do it officially. And it is quite frustrating because I'm now sort of 26 and I'd love to be that generation that gets us in there and starts to build a bit more like professionalism and in, in the sport. Um, but yeah, it's sort of slowly fading away now, the hopes with, with lockdown taking a year out of rugby. And yeah, because we, we've just had a new stadium built actually in Gibraltar, like $20 million development, which has really lifted like the professionalism we have now with the sport. We've got 
the facilities to bring anyone over and it's, it's great for us now we just need that's the last kind of piece of the puzzle to get us a bit more like that that next step forward is, so. is the big is the big investment in rugby in Gibraltar and in terms of almost recruiting players how can they go about knowing that there is someone potentially anywhere in the UK anywhere in the world that could represent them and obviously enhance their their squad yeah I mean I'm not 100 sure how they go about it in terms of like a sort of research and sort of marketing angle but I know that once we once we'd finished construction of that um of our new stadium it got quite a lot of media attention and off the back of that we got quite a lot of people reaching out and saying oh I've actually got a grandma who was once called Karen or I have it and and we actually have from that got about five or six strong players who who we had no idea about who do actually have a link to Gibraltar and they're now sort of training with us um, which is great and it is little things like that once our name gets a bit bigger these guys come out of the woodwork like oh yeah my I don't know I lived there for 10 years like five years ago and that, therefore you're you're eligible kind of thing mm-hmm. that's um, awesome hopefully there yeah. is one or two talents that can be uncovered so to speak naturally that's 15 aside where do you play in the 15 aside game what's your role amongst that Gibraltar side yeah, I uh, I'm the water boy. <laughs> I um I play fullback. Um, I did play flower at the beginning of my career with them, but um, my better cousin pushed me out to fullback. Um, yeah, so I play fullback. Uh, I guess I'm kind of the the speed man on the team. I'd say uh, last line of defence. Are you still the national top points scorer, or has someone else jumped over? That's. Uh, we can say yes. What does Wikipedia say? I, I, I think that's probably that. that's where I got it from, and it still had you. So uh, we'll give you the credit. Yeah, I'll take it. No, I, <laughs> I don't know if I will be anymore. But <laughs> which which do you prefer? Do you prefer fifteen aside rather than sevens and having to run around balls out for however long? I prefer I prefer sevens probably overall. Right. Because um, I'm a yeah I'm a back. I like to just you know sling a long pass and have a bit of space to run. Um, and avoid contact if I, if I can <laughs> but yeah no it's sevens is a bit more of a fun game but I, I, 15s on a, on a nice sunny day fair weather 15s is also brilliant mm-hmm. was full-time professional sports ever a possibility for you going through the top end of school or university um, I definitely considered it when I was at school um, as a sort of under 16 under 18 player but I, I don't know I, I kind of missed um, I'd say I blossomed in, in 17, 18. So I kind of missed that development stage, which a lot of the boys go through, like under 16, Southwest England or whatever, and, or even County. And for that reason, I guess the opportunity wasn't that there from young. You kind of you kind of miss the opportunity there if you haven't come in at a young age. Um, in which case, I saw I never got a real taste for like, right, I'm going to take this to the next level and be a professional. I still love the game. I still play at quite a high level, but... Yeah, um, I mean, actually, I also got. I also went down for a trial at London Irish. This is really quite quite a strange one. Off the, just before last Christmas, before the first lockdown, they uh, they had quite a lot of injuries in their back three, <coughs> and Sean O'Brien is um, one of the main players down there, and his, his brother trains us out in Gibraltar, Steve O'Brien. So they asked, they asked if he could come and sort of step in maybe for a couple of games, so give it a crack. Yeah, I was like, are you joking me? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm all right if you put a ball in my hands, but I'm, I'm by no means a professional. Like, it's a slightly different guys. game, isn't it? Nick Phipps and Paddy Jackson and 
boys from all over the world playing playing there and in the change room. I was just like, whoa, and like monsters, all the Kiwi boys. Because <laughs> I was just like, nah, it was terrifying. Lastly, Six Nations is ongoing. I'm sure you've been watching and following. Are you allowed to support someone as a competing international and maybe a thought on who you think can win the tournament? Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm fully allowed to. I've been supporting England. Um, yeah, I'm not supporting Australia. I'm supporting England. Um, who do I think is going to win? I mean, I had high hopes for England, but after our first performance against Scotland, I've kind of lost that hope slightly. Um, I think I, I do still have faith that we'll, we'll take take the win. Um, but it looks like Wales are on top at the moment, aren't they? Really? So we'll uh, we'll check back in at the end of the tournament. We'll see how uh, how correct you are, Harvey. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I know you're very busy with uh, your respective projects and things, so we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll let you go, but we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, mate. All the best, Jimmy. We've got to do our segment now. We're going to do it from the golf course, socially distanced. Can you talk us through your shot before we get on with it? It's a long par five. It's even longer when you put the first one onto the horse track on the right-hand side. I'm going driver. Plan is I'm aiming up the fourth on the left and I'm going to slice it back in the middle of the fairway. Wish me luck. For future reference, there will be video evidence to go with this. It'll stand quite close. That's actually all right, Jimmy. That's very good. Jimmy, just while I team mine up and block it out right, can you give the listeners your thoughts on the England-San Marino game or give us your dick of the week? Dick of the week? Um, you know what? I've been caught off guard here. I haven't even thought about it. But for dick of the week, not even a contest, this one. Um, straight away, Eddie Bufroyd. Genuinely, man out of his depth in a job and he's come out with comments today saying no one can succeed as England under 21 manager if he wants I'm happy to swap roles for a week um, AD can come sell some bricks and I'll take on the likes of the young future of England football oh he has blocked it outright as well <laughs> oh he's off the synthetic find it out there Jimmy, that's possibly ruined our plans for recording walking alongside one another. But we'll see how it goes. We'll work it out. We'll find, we'll find a way. Jimmy, me and Tiz caught up earlier on and we talked about our training and the return of cricket last night. How much did you enjoy netting last night? Yeah, I loved every bit of it. Uh, did you wake up stiff this morning? Uh, no, because I didn't really do much yesterday. No morning glory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, one of the other things that me and Tin has also talked about this morning to get your thoughts on is the news that Aguero and company are getting a statue outside the Etihad for their efforts at the club. I'd just like to hear your views on who should get a statue and where very quickly. Um, statue and where? The way everyone harps on about Gareth Southgate. May as well get one for him at St George's Park. Um, Ten is actually sent back. Did he? Yeah. That's embarrassing. So he was probably being serious about it. <laughs> no, that's like that. Sorry, Sean. Um, Ten is, I, th- I think, um, keep that bid in. 
Uh, statues and who deserves one? I would give a statue to... Um, Don Best at Taunton. Don Best probably deserves one. Um, trying to think of some of the... Uh, to answer your question about Aguero and company, I think... I think Sergio Aguero does deserve a statue there. Um, I'm going to throw this out there on popular opinion. Better than Henri. Do you reckon? Yeah. Score more goals, better goals per game ratio. Not as good as Shearer. I was going to say, does that put him second in the list then? Well, no. Rooney's second in the list because he scored more goals. Does that put him third in the list then? No, because he's also not third in the list. I think Andy Cole's got more. Best foreigner in the Brad. Yeah, yeah. Is he as good as David Silva? Different sort of player, weren't they? Off the synthetic, three hybrid in hand. not getting over the race course. And unfortunately, a lot like Jimmy's horses, he's not getting over the fence. Better than David Silva, what do you reckon? I, I don't think he's a better player, but I think he's probably had a greater impact. Would you put that goal against QPR as the greatest Premier League moment ever? Uh, it's up there with Lee Bowie and Kieran Dyer going at each other. Oh, that was good, actually. Bit, but, of, a, bit of a forgotten moment. I would say, in terms of drama and going down to the wire for a title, that will never be beaten. That was a better story still than Leicester winning the league. Yeah. Not for the fact City won it, the fact Man United didn't. I actually thought that was miles better. Weren't they celebrating at Sunderland? Yeah. Yeah. Like, fine, mate. Phil Jones on the pitch with his shirt off, getting a bit digging. Jimmy, now that we've reached your ball, which is technically missed the fairway, hard lines. I've gone past the fairway, I've driven it. Approximately 170 yards, maybe. Into the teeth of the wind. Going to a winter green, Jimmy. mentioned Don Best we talked about Paul Collingwood earlier on maybe or Jeff Cook outside the Riverside what other cricketers come to mind Jimmy I'm going to throw David Milan into the mix uh, the fact people have got the nerve to say that the number one test uh, number one ODI T20 there we go <laughs> all three <laughs> the best player in all three he formats batsman in the world genuinely give him a statue of boards because I can't believe people want to drop absolute wizard I would give him the armband of a Morgan or when Morgan out Morgan out. Had a year to lose Morgan's. Here's gone. Owen gone. Dowid in. Where's gone? <laughs> Where's Morgan on the way out? Unless it has to be. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a fair one. And I think it would also be a, uh, a fair reflection on English white ball cricket to immortalise the greatest ever player in a statue. Especially across all three formats. What pose would he be in? Because we said maybe Stokes at Headingley in his iconic pose. What what pose is David Milan famous for? Has he done anything daft over the years? I'm not sure. He just likes a reverse sweep. Maybe just a reverse sweep. Immortalise the sweep. But you know how uh, Flintoff took that pedalo out in Barbados? I'd love to see Flintoff in a pedalo with a can outside Lords or Old Trafford or something like that. That would be quite good. The Flintoff end with a pedalo on the roof. <laughs> 
Rather than having like a wind dial that's a bird that spins around, it's flint off on his pedal. Make an argument to rename one of the uh, ends in Barbados after him, just for that. Jimmy, we just finished that hole. We both gave ourselves generous bogeys. Are you more looking forward to the golf season or the cricket season? Golf season, 100%. Although, as I say this, I'm facing my second shot off the race course again today. Um, tee shot on the next hole, hit another path and with who knows where we are. Uh, from experience of about 10 minutes ago, I can tell you it's thick out there, Jimmy. Oh, it's like uh, a jungle yeah. out there. Yeah, I've just played on it. I was playing out of a horse's hoof uh, imprint. Um, generally... I'd rather not think about it. I think I'm better when I don't think, as a lot of people will probably agree with that. Just let the game come naturally. We'll see what happens. Over to you, though, Andrew. Yeah, what do you reckon here? 240 into the wind? Long way into the wind. I think so, I've got three shots left in me you, today. Seven iron layup? Yeah. At best. At dumb best. At dumb best. Jimmy, pleasure as always. Thanks for See you later on. I'm the gap with the bass and drum, going around like bum, bum, bum.